It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's a day late because we wanted to do this the day of the NFL Draft. Midweek with Manish Manish Mehta covering the New York Jets for the Daily News. And we should probably go ahead and break some news here on the podcast to start things. Rob Gronkowski has gone back to football. He is going to be joining Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, which means... That he is the reigning WWE 24-7 champion and also going to be in the NFL, or at least that's what you would think. Because on an episode of SmackDown that is going to air tomorrow, Rob Gronkowski is going to lose the 24-7 title after getting hit from behind with a chair. He is then going to be covered by Manish, who is now the 24-7 champion. Manish, congratulations. A lifelong dream of mine to hoist a belt. I always wanted the intercontinental title for some reason uh, when I was a kid. I, maybe I just liked the word. And I was a big Greg Valentine fan. I think he was the intercontinental champion for a long time when I was a little kid. True story. Friend of mine works for WWE. When I was at his wedding, he had the intercontinental championship, a replica of it that he brought out with him when he came out and they announced the bride and the groom. And so I came up behind him at one point when he was sitting at his table and I put him in a fake sleeper hold and said I was cashing in my money in the bank briefcase to take his championship <laughs> belt. So a little bit of fun at his wedding. Manish, now that you're the 24-7 champion, it's going to be tough for you to juggle this job along with that belt, but you got to have eyes in the back of your head making sure that Joe Douglas isn't trying to come up behind you and not only try to take the 24-7 title, but try to extract some information out of you in terms of what other teams are going to do. A lot of buzz going on right now. As we speak, the hot rumor is that there's going to be an early run on tackles, which would probably be Joe Douglas's worst nightmare, right? That is the doomsday scenario that uh, I know that Jet fans had, have been talking about for a couple months, and the thought was, well, surely one of the top four tackles, uh, at least the top uh, four tackles that we believe are going to ultimately have the best careers, uh, would slide to 11. And you know, I've always thought that it was a 50-50 proposition at best that that would happen, uh, just because it's such an unpredictable uh, off-season. You know, you don't have a, a, a typical time to work with rookies, uh, and I'm only mentioning that because uh, having a quarterback, for example, in the top 10 this year, uh, it might as well just be a redshirt year when you're talking about Tua, who's obviously still on the mend, or Justin Herbert. I don't know how much you can realistically expect out of a rookie quarterback. So perhaps uh, one of those two guys 
is not taken in the top 10. And I actually think that's how it's going to play out. Only one of them will be a top 10 pick, which means uh, bad news potentially uh, for the Jets. Uh, if there's a team like Tampa Bay, for example, willing to trade up to take a tackle, uh, I guess you know the, the most pertinent information right now is this notion that the Dolphins will not take a quarterback. Everyone assumed that they would with the number five pick or perhaps even trading up. But now there's a sense that, yes, they are still interested in trading up. The obvious partner would be the Lions at three who uh, want to get the Ohio State uh, cornerback, but they're fully aware that uh, they could move down uh, one or two spots and still get him. Uh, the, you know, the speculation now is that Miami does, in fact, want to move up, but not for a quarterback. Instead, for one of the tackles and again that's not good news for the Jets. Manish, we'll talk about what you think the Jets are ultimately going to end up with when we get into your first round mock draft in a bit, but first, do you think there's any possibility that Joe Douglas looks at this and decides to try and get a little active and jump up a little bit to make sure he doesn't get shut out of one of those tackles? It's possible. It it all ultimately comes down to how much does he value those guys? over the next group if he thinks that there's a clear line of delineation uh, after wills Werfs, becton and thomas then perhaps he would be willing to give up one of his day two picks because remember he does have that additional third round pick from the leonard williams deal and uh he's dealing with a second round pick uh, 48 overall which i don't believe he'd be willing to part with uh i, I guess you can never say never but uh, if he could use one of those two third-round picks to inch up a little bit in the first round, if he believes that all four tackles are going to get go- are going to be gone, otherwise, I suppose that's an option. I-, I know that's that's not the preference at all. The preference is the exact opposite, which is to acquire more draft capital in the meat of the draft day two to help uh, along this rebuild. Uh, so we'll find out, uh, you know, how cool of a customer Joe Douglas is because look, he is a measured guy. I think. Anyone who has seen him publicly knows that uh, you know he's a, he's a steady person. He, he's not highly emotional. Uh, that doesn't mean he's not passionate because he absolutely is passionate about the specific players. It's just a matter of you know, how is he going to handle being in charge for the first time because uh, even though he's had integral roles in different places, specifically in Philadelphia the last three years, he hasn't had the final call. That has been Howie Roseman's decision. Uh, I, I just think... Man, the doomsday scenario would be to have those four tackles gone in the first ten picks, and then you're wondering what makes sense, uh, taking one of the top receivers or trading down, which is what I would do. Uh, you know, I'm, We're going to find out a lot about Joe Douglas. It's fascinating to me. I almost kind of hope that all four tackles are gone because I'm, I'm very intrigued by what Joe Douglas' uh, you know, decision would be at that point. Uh, I, I still believe it makes a lot of sense to move down, get a tackle, and acquire extra picks instead of taking Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb or, or Henry Ruggs uh, just because of the depth at the position. So uh, I'm fascinated to find out these first 10 picks. I really am, because even right now, 24 hours before the draft, I can't tell you with any certainty how many of those tackles will be gone, and I certainly can't tell you definitively what the order of those players taken would be. I agree with you personally. I would trade down if all those tackles are off the board. But here's the interesting part of this. I still don't think the Jets are making a move for Trent Williams. But do you think if those four guys go off the board and the Jets trade down and pick up extra picks, then maybe 
Joe Douglas decides to get aggressive, call the Redskins, and try and get something done for Trent Williams. Because you have to imagine, unless he has some of these other lower-tier tackles rated a lot higher than we expect, he does not want to go into the 2020 season with only Fant and Adoga. Even if he thinks there's a chance they can start, neither one is a proven starter. You'd have to imagine he'd want to do something, whether it's calling Jason Peters' agent or maybe calling the Redskins and trying to get something done with Trent Williams, right? Yeah, look, I think uh, that window of time when Trent Williams' representatives were shopping around for a deal has technically closed. So if there's going to be business done uh, involving Trent Williams, it's going to have to be with Ron Rivera with the Redskins, Mm -hmm. and that would be the call that Joe Douglas would have to make. Uh, I'm with you. I completely agree with this idea that uh, if you believe that there is a fairly significant fall-off from that initial group of four to an Austin Jackson or a Josh Jones, uh, Ezra Cleveland, you know, guys in that neighborhood, if you, or Isaiah Wilson, if you think there's a, a significant gap between that first tier and the second and third tiers, then frankly, I think you're doing a disservice if you at least don't explore again what it might take to get Trent Williams in draft compensation, of course, and then in a new contract that he's looking for. Uh, I think it's a no-brainer. I know it's not my money, and I know that Joe Douglas has a a plan of what he wants to do in free agency after the draft. And we can talk about that later as well. There's one specific veteran that I know that uh, he would like to add uh, for Greg Williams. But, you know, I I think it makes all the sense in the world. If you're not satisfied uh, with the tackles at your disposal uh, when you're on the clock at 11 to to get a perennial Pro Bowl player who's got at least, I think, two to three years of high-end play, because two to three years – and the NFL is almost an eternity. And if you can get a blindside protector for Darnold, uh, and all it means that you gotta, is that you got to give up a, probably one of your third-round picks and pay uh, a lot of money for, then I think you do it. It ultimately comes down to the money, because I don't think the draft capital is going to be that big of an issue. I think it's going to be more about uh, the Jets meeting uh, Trent Williams' demands, willing to do that. And if they've got the money on hand, uh, what are you saving it for? Uh, I don't think that's the first choice. I don't think Joe Douglas is going into this draft. And in fact, I know he's not thinking uh, that he's got a Trent Williams trade in his back pocket. He wants to draft a tackle. But if things go haywire you know, in the first 45 minutes or so of this draft, then he's going to have to have a solid plan B. My plan B would be Trent Williams. Uh, I don't know if his necessarily is, though. Yeah, I think what I would do, Manish, is I would start making some calls up the board and see if I could work out some tentative parameters. And then if I end up not getting somebody at number 11, I'm calling the Redskins and I'm trying to get something done. And then plan C could even be Jason Peters because he's still sitting out there. But you cannot go into the 2020 season with just Fanta and Adoga. I don't care how much you like either one of them. Neither one is proven. And as you said, a two- to three-year window is an eternity because that two- to three-year window is the rest of Sam Darnold's rookie contract. And the last thing you want to do is sacrifice him for the sake of not going out and making some sort of splash move. Again, if you don't want to give up major draft capital for Williams, then at least get Jason Peters, but get somebody in here who has been a proven starter at the NFL level. And I think you need to do that in the secondary as well. The Jets may look to get a cornerback in the second or third round of this draft, but 
There is a veteran on the open market that they apparently like. Manish, you broke this news in the Daily News the other day. Who am I talking about and what are we looking at contract-wise in terms of the possible parameters if this were to happen? Well, it's a player that Jet fans are certainly familiar with, uh, former Super Bowl champion uh, with their favorite team, the New England Patriots, Logan Ryan, who spent the last few years, of course, with Tennessee. Uh, he's a really easy guy to forget. You know, you know, I think of Logan Ryan, I think of him just being you know, a part of that Patriot machine that won a few Super Bowls. But uh, if you look closer at what he brings to the table, it's really a varied skill set that would work perfectly for Greg Williams. He can play in the slot. He's a guy who I believe, uh, at least from discussions I've had with uh, personnel people on other teams, will ultimately transition to safety. Uh, you know, But I think for purposes of 2020, for the sake of 2020, I think you'll see him used in a number, if he does, in fact, end up with the Jets, I think you'll see him, Greg Williams use him as a safety, as a corner, as really uh, kind of a Swiss Army knife type of player. Uh, it's going to be a one-year deal. I think that, that that window for getting a potential long-term deal uh, has passed. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I like a lot of Jet fans and probably NFL fans almost forgot that Logan Ryan was still available. I kind of just assumed that he would have been signed by now, uh, but he didn't for whatever reason. You know, he's a guy who's going to he's gonna play this season at the age of 29. He won't turn 30 until after the year. So uh, it's not like he's an old player, he, but he is a, obviously an accomplished player. And he just offers a lot of good traits across the board. I don't think there's one dynamic part of his game. Uh, I think he can cover. I think he can rush the quarterback. You know, I think he can uh, kind of move around and, and play and fill a number of different roles. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this free agent ledger uh, over the last month and the different pieces that Joe Douglas brought in. And I, I got to be honest with you. I know it's, <laughs> I know it's almost going to be May, but if Joe Douglas and the Jets signed Logan Ryan to a one-year deal for, uh, you know, he had reportedly wanted $10 million. I, I don't know how the, the money would ultimately shake out. But if he got Logan Ryan on a one-year deal for, you know, roughly $10 million, whatever, you know, in that neighborhood, uh, that would probably be, if not the best move in free agency that he has made, uh, one of the top two or at worst three moves. You can point to Connor McGovern. I know a lot of people really like him. I, I also know that the Jets would would be uh, amenable to moving McGovern to guard if they indeed draft the center, which is distinctly possible on day two. Uh, you know, I, I actually think, Scott, that there's a, a chance that they will not draft the corner. Uh, and I think if that happens, that certainly opens the door for Logan Ryan. I know that they need corner. They obviously had a, an issue at that spot last year, but it wouldn't surprise me uh, if they don't, at least with one of their first you know, three or four picks, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't take a corner. And Logan Ryan, to me, would be a perfect fit to slide on in. Um, you know, We'll see what, what he gives them. I don't know if, he's, if he'd be a part of their long-term plans. Joe Douglas has talked about kind of giving these guys a, a trial run during the season, and if things are working out well, then signing some of these guys to extensions in December, for example. Maybe Logan Ryan fits those parameters, or maybe he's just a one-and-done type of guy. But I do know that if he is on this roster in 2020, he will make a significant uh, contribution in an area that the Jets need. No question, Logan Ryan would be a major upgrade for them, at least in the short run. Whether he stays for the long term, 
would be to be determined. However, they need bodies in that secondary, especially a cornerback. They have Desir. There's still some questions with him because of the injury last year. He's on a cheap one-year deal. Blessing Austin had his moments, but he's still a major injury risk. Arthur Millette played okay when he came in, but again, he's never really been a proven starter. So you bring Logan Ryan in here, and then maybe Bless Austin continues to bloom, or maybe you get somebody in the draft, and at least you have Ryan and Desir to sort of hold down the fort as the young guys develop. So if they can get him for a reasonable price, I think it would absolutely be a good move. But if they add one player to the secondary, is it possible another player could be gone? What are you hearing about Jamal Adams? My sense here is that Joe Douglas is not going to trade him, at least not now, unless he gets a really huge offer for him. I think he's probably planning on sitting down with Jamal Adams and his representatives to talk about a contract sometime after the draft. Sounds like that was always his plan, but if he does want to trade him, he could still do it. They do have him for two relatively cheap years, the last year of his rookie deal and then the fifth-year option, so they don't have to rush it if they don't want to. What are you hearing on this? It's interesting because uh, I I agree with a lot of what Joe Douglas has done, uh, not with everything. I mean, philosophically, I think he's sound, uh, and, and that just comes from the people that he has learned uh, from over the past two decades. Uh, that being said, I, I don't quite understand his tack by leaving the door open when it comes to Jamal Adams' future. And I understand that uh, you know a general manager has to be thorough and uh, you don't want to shut off any doors, but we're not talking about, you know, no disrespect to Marcus May, and we're not talking about a Marcus May. We're not talking about, uh, you know, you just name name another starter, Henry Anderson, you know, wh- whoever you want to name. I think when you look at the Jet roster right now, there are, there are two players, frankly, that matter most, and I think it's it's not up for debate who those two players are. Sam Darnold, who is the centerpiece of the franchise and Jamal Adams, who is far and away the best player on this roster. Now, he, look, he doesn't have the, the largest resume. That's reserved for Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley because they played longer. But I think when you factor in age and quality of play in 2019, if you want to go back to 2018, you can do that. I don't think it's debatable that Jamal Adams is far and away your best player, and he's a young player. If you want to throw in the fact that he's homegrown, you can do that. I don't know if that necessarily matters. I think what matters most is age and production. And he is not even – he's ascending. He's not even hit his prime, and he is your most productive player. Now, he doesn't play a quote-unquote premium position, but I think that's overblown because when I think of what position matters the most in the NFL, like most fans and coaches and anyone who's ever watched an NFL game – the clear answer is quarterback. Nobody touches the quarterback. So nobody's saying that Jamal Adams is as important to the Jets as Sam Darnold, even though Jamal Adams is a much better player at his position than Sam Darnold is right now at his position. So you put Sam Darnold aside. Look at the rest of the roster. What do you need to win? You need people that can change games, who can be difference makers at whatever position, whether that's left tackle, which I personally value as the second most important position, or whether that's uh, an edge rusher or cornerback. You know, I think when you just go at the traditional uh, positions and, and kind of look at history and say, well, what matters, what position matters, what doesn't matter, uh, you know, safety is not number one, two, or three. 
on many people's lists. But Jamal Adams is a hybrid player who changes games and makes differences in games. And I think anybody who followed the Jets last year saw that. And that's what you need to ultimately be a winner. You need the quarterback first and foremost, and then you need game-changing players at whatever position. And Jamal Adams you know, fits that bill. And as you touched on earlier, Scott, when we were talking about you know, paying maybe Trent Williams in a trade, uh, the, the quarterback on this team is making relative peanuts. He's on his rookie contract. We'll see if he gets an, a, a new deal, a blockbuster deal a year from now, a year and a half from now, you know, two years from now, who knows. But now is the time to invest in your other young pieces. And when I look at the Seattle Seahawks from you know, six, seven, eight years ago, they did just that, investing in Cam Chancellor, uh, investing in a safety, in Earl Thomas, investing in a cornerback, in Richard Sherman. All those guys got their money while, I believe, uh, if memory serves, while Russell Wilson was still on, on his rookie deal. The Jets don't have all of those young pieces. Right now, all they really have is Jamal Adams in that category. So now is the time to pay him. Uh, I, I just don't believe, just to circle back to what I said initially, I just don't quite understand why uh, Joe Douglas just hasn't definitively said Jamal Adams is not going anywhere. He's kind of hedged, not even kind of hedged, he's hedged and talked around it by saying all these great things about Jamal as a player, but at the same time saying that he'll listen to offers. And I just think, uh, and, and then I'll stop my rant here, I just think that we have to put to bed this idea that the Jets only listened to offers for Jamal Adams at the trade deadline. Uh, while it's true that the Jets did not make the initial call, uh, that came from, uh, my understanding is, I don't know, around 10 teams, maybe even more. Uh, the serious teams were two or three. Uh, but in those discussions, uh, there was a back and forth. So even though Joe Douglas did not make the initial offer, he did make counter proposals. So he did engage in trade talks. So, you know, I, I always have to kind of roll my eyes when I hear people say, well, what's Joe Douglas supposed to do, not listen to offers? Well, obviously he's going to listen to an offer, but it's, I think you're pretty naive if you think that that's all that happened. It's not as if Joe Douglas listened to the offer for, from the Cowboys, for, for example, and then hung up the phone. No, there was a back and forth. There was dialogue there. So he was willing to trade Jamal Adams for the right price. And again, if you're trying to build a sustainable winner, you need foundation pieces like Jamal Adams, who not only is a leader for your team, but actually produces. It's not like he's just a cheerleader. He delivers. And this is a bottom-line industry, a bottom-line business, and nobody on this roster produces more than Jamal Adams right now. Manish, we've had this discussion before, and I suspect that we will have it again, but since we're doing more draft today, I'll leave it for another time, but I'll simply say this. Joe Douglas wasn't going out there and shopping the guy teams called. He picked up. And he said, here's what it would take to get me to consider it. And it was a very, very, very high price for pretty much anybody that's not a quarterback. So he wasn't saying he's untradeable. He was saying he's untradeable unless you give me the sun, the moon, and the stars. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially when the Jets have so many important holes to fill. The bottom line here is Joe Douglas is not trading Jamal Adams unless he gets a massive package. And if he gets a massive package, he may decide that it's worth it to trade him because he can use those picks to try and rebuild the core of this roster that Mike McCagnan, John Idzik, and Mike Tannenbaum all messed up. Now, I wouldn't want to trade Jamal Adams unless... Some team offers something insane. If someone wants to offer two first-round picks or something like that, 
okay, fine. Or as we had heard, a first and two seconds is what he had been asking for. If that's what he ends up getting for Jamal Adams, I think most Jets fans would live with it. But what I don't want to see is what I think most teams would offer, which would be a first and maybe a third or something like that. And thankfully, I'm of the opinion that Joe Douglas would not move him for that. And I also think we can agree, Manish, that part of the issue here is that ownership also loves Jamal Adams. So I can't imagine they would sign off on a trade of their best player, the guy that they look at as the face of the franchise for anything less than a king's ransom. As I said, we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks. I don't know if there's even going to be a story here because it's possible that after the draft they sit down and work something out. And I do agree with you. The ideal scenario here is for them to sit down and just work out a long-term deal because Jamal Adams isn't just the safety anymore. He was until about the halfway point of last season. He has now transformed into a defensive playmaker, which is the kind of player that a lot of people believe Isaiah Simmons from Clemson is going to be, and that's why he may go so high in this draft. And Manish, if he goes in the top 10, as we suspect, that may help the Jets out a little bit because they need all the help they can get with all these rumors about the tackle run that could happen at the top of this draft. So let's talk about how you have this breaking down. You still have the top two guys being the ones that we thought would be the top two all along. Joe Burrow, number one to the Bengals, and Chase Young, number two to the Redskins. But at number three, where everybody thought the Lions would either stay and take Akuda or trade down for somebody to come up and take either Herbert or Tua, you've got the Dolphins moving up, but not for Herbert or Tua, for Tristan Wirfs. What's behind this thought, Manish? I gotta be honest with you. I don't believe that Justin Herbert or Tua are gonna be particularly good. And I know I'm in the minority when it comes to Tua because he's got uh, a lot of supporters out there. I'm just not mm-hmm. of the belief that he'll be able to consistently stay healthy. And even if he is healthy, I'm not particularly sold on him. But you know, as we've said before, I- I'm not a scout, uh, and people do disagree uh, when it comes to my evaluation on these quarterbacks. So I always felt that it made more sense to to beef up the offensive line because the offensive line isn't particularly good. They, they, they traded Tunsil last year, so they, they need to to improve uh, at the tackle spot, whether it's left or right. And I, I think on the surface, as a player, I think that Jedrick Wills would be a better pick. I think, however, when you're talking about the overall makeup of the player, on the field, off the field, uh, you know, things of that nature, uh, even – things like athleticism, not that Jedrick Wills isn't athletic. Uh, I actually think he's the best tackle in this draft. But uh, I think when you factor in you know, the, the overall picture, Tristan Wirfs is probably uh, more appealing. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's the better player, though, than Jedrick Wills. And I also am not sold on this notion that Wills can only play on the right side because he played on the right side at Alabama. Uh, I, I'm not saying that he won't ultimately settle on the right side and just stick there, but this, this idea that he can't be a left tackle, I'm not on board with that. I don't believe that he can't transition to that ultimately in the NFL. So if I were the Dolphins, I would take Jedrick Wills. However, uh, because of the reasons I outlined, I think they're going to take uh, Tristan Wirfs if they do, in fact, pull this trade off with the Lions because the worst-kept secret in this draft is that the Giants – I'm sorry, the, uh, the Lions desperately want to move out because – they want to draft the Ohio State cornerback that nobody else in the top five wants, just not because he's not a great player, potentially, but because of the position. 
So it makes all the sense in the world for Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia to move down. And for the longest time, I believed, like many other people, that the Dolphins would be the perfect trading partner because the Dolphins would take a quarterback. Uh, but I do have them in this in this final mock draft taking an offensive lineman uh, with, after moving up two spots, and then uh, you know predictably the Lions at five still taking the same guy that I, I thought that they would take now for two months, which is the Ohio State cornerback. Uh, but that would spell, uh, you know, that, that would be bad news for the Jets. You know, this is a Jet podcast, so we have to try to focus on how it impacts the Jets. If the Dolphins do in fact take a tackle, whether the, whether they take a tackle by trading up at three or stand pat at five and take a tackle, that would not be good news for the Jets because I wholeheartedly believe that even though the Giants could use uh, help on defense, you had mentioned Isaiah Simmons, he would be terrific for the Giants. Even though that is factually correct, my gut tells me that the Giants are also going to take a tackle to help Daniel Jones, to help Saquon Barkley. And that's why I think that two of the top four players, if there is a trade, or at very worst, two of the top five players will be tackles. And that next tackle off the board here for you is Jedrick Wills to the Giants. I still think there's a very good chance that the Giants either trade down or take Isaiah Simmons. I just feel like there's that Saquon Barkley factor with Simmons for Gettleman where he's going to look at him and just think that he can't pass him up because he's such a dynamic player. But the sensible pick here would be Jedrick Wills or any of the other tackles, whether it's Becton or Andrew Thomas, simply because you've got that young quarterback and you're looking to protect him. And then at number five, you've got Akuda coming off the board to the Lions. That would be the dream scenario for them, pick up extra picks and still get the guy that they want. I'm of the belief that Jeff Akuda is the best cornerback prospect in years, and I think he has a chance to be Jalen Ramsey good or perhaps even better. You watch his tape, and it's outstanding. His production was terrific. His footwork, his understanding of the game and how to dissect opposing offenses just when you watch him talk in interviews. Incredibly intelligent guy, so I think he's the perfect fit for Patricia, a great replacement for Darius Slay. And then you have Tua coming off the board to the Chargers. Here's where I'll disagree with you, Manish. I think Tua is going to be really good if he stays healthy. And as far as whether or not he stays healthy, that is something that the teams have access to that I don't in terms of the medical. So they're going to know more than I would. If one of these teams takes him that high, I have to assume that they understand his medical situation and that they think that he's going to be able to hold up. If he holds up, I think he's going to be good. I'm not really so sold on Justin Herbert. I do think Tua would be good. And I think for the Chargers, listen, let's be honest, Manish, they need to take a bold risk like this because I hate to say this, but nobody cares about them. No fans show up to their <laughs> games. Seriously, no one cares about the Chargers. So they got to do something to get fan interest. And I think Tua, if he's on the board at six, would be a great pick for them for that reason, if they're convinced that the medical is okay. Yeah, I, you know, it's a, it's a redshirt year for him. Let's just be honest about mm -hmm. it because of a number of factors. You know, as we talked about earlier, this is a weird off season, So he's not in all likelihood going to get on the field with his teammates until training camp begins. And he's on the mend. Uh, so he, he gets time to heal up. Tyrod Taylor, I know we've gone through this Tyrod Taylor storyline before in Cleveland, uh, and, and Jet fans are fully aware since they ended the Tyrod Taylor era in Cleveland and opened the door for Baker Mayfield to beat them in prime time. But uh, I think that the Chargers have a lot of good pieces, both on offense and defense, to 
to make a, a legitimate postseason run, even with Tyrod Taylor, because you know, for as good as Philip Rivers has, has been in his career, he wasn't particularly good last year. Uh, I, I don't know how much of a downgrade Tyrod Taylor would necessarily be for them. And he, to me, he's a good bridge guy. And Tua sits for a year, learns for a year, and then you know they get rolling with Tua in 2021. But uh, but again, you know I can't predict uh, how healthy he'll be. I, I don't know. I just know what has happened to him over the last several years, and it's a little bit disconcerting. But uh, at some point, you, you got to address the quarterback position. And if you know he was probably going to be the number one pick if he didn't uh, get hurt this past season. So I think it's you know good value. There's risk there. But it's a, it's an area that Anthony Lynn uh, needs to address, and, and that franchise needs to address. So, uh, to me, that that's the spot for Tua. And I'm with you on Herbert. I don't even have Herbert in the top ten. I have him falling a fair amount. And uh, uh, you know, I, I, that hurts the Jets. It's just another uh, another example of how the Jets could be in a precarious position uh, when it comes to the tackles. If only one of the two quarterbacks is gone in the top ten. And if a team like Miami, who we all thought was going to take a quarterback, ends up taking an offensive tackle. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. At number seven, you have Isaiah Simmons coming off the board of the Panthers. This is a spot that has been talked about 
as a potential trade. I think he would be a great move for the Panthers because he can do so many different things. Certainly, he would help them and that putrid run defense that we saw last year. But they could move out of this spot and somebody looking to jump up and take Isaiah Simmons could do so here at number seven. Number eight, another spot that's been talked about as a potential trade spot because the Cardinals lost their second round pick in the trade for DeAndre Hopkins. You've got them taking Derek Brown. There's a lot of buzz that they do like him and Javon Kinlaw. They need some help on defense. So if they stay at eight, that would certainly make some sense. But watch for teams to potentially move up. And again, keep in mind, the Panthers and the Cardinals could be two spots that Joe Douglas may want to target if he's looking to jump some of these teams to try and make sure that he doesn't get shut out from one of those tackles. At number nine, you've got the Falcons jumping up and taking C.J. Henderson. Makes sense. Supposedly, the Falcons have their eye on Henderson, think they need to get into the top 10. And so this would be good news for the Jets as well because it would mean that somebody is being taken that isn't a tackle. Then at number 10, you've got the Bucks getting really bold here, moving up from 14 to 10, getting into win-now mode and getting themselves Andrew Thomas. I think Andrew Thomas makes so much sense for them. I know he's not a great pass protector, but you've got Donovan Smith there. You've got Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen, so they've got a really good interior. We know the weapons they have. They just added Gronk, but they already had Godwin and Evans. Brady walks in there, and he's got himself a really nice set of weapons and protectors if they get Andrew Thomas here. Andrew Thomas ready to start day one as well. So that'd be interesting. But again, Manish, bad news for the Jets if that happens. Yeah, that would be bad news for the Jets. Uh, Andrew Thomas would be good for Cleveland, too. And uh, I think in previous mock drafts, I had Thomas going to Cleveland, but uh, I looked at this as an opportunity for Cleveland to acquire more picks. They're analytics-driven now. I think they can pick up an offensive tackle later in the draft. I actually have Cleveland trading down again. Uh, you know, that's a very uh, Cleveland thing to do, at least in recent years. It hasn't worked out for them in the past, but uh, I just think that Tampa is all in with Brady. The, the Gronk signing is clear evidence of that if we didn't already know. And, uh, I, look, I know that Andrew Thomas is a better run blocker than pass protector, and, and I don't want to pretend that I've analyzed every snap that Andrew Thomas has taken, but I, I think he can he's, he's a good pass protector. I, I don't think he's as bad as maybe you know it, it appears sometimes when you read evaluations about him, just because he is really good at run blocking. He's, he's, a, he's a, ahead as a run blocker versus a pass protector, but he's a, he's a guy that people on teams have told me that you know he's going to be a rock solid player in this league. Uh, you know what his ultimate ceiling is, that's to be determined. So I, I don't think Andrew Thomas is getting past ten, whether that's staying with Cleveland or whether Cleveland trades because Tampa wants to move up and, and get him. And you know in this scenario, there are three tackles gone: uh, Makai Becton, who you know physically is a monster and athletically is so supremely gifted. On paper, that looks like a no-brainer pick for the Jets. And I have the Jets taking Becton, but there are some concerns. There's some red flags. Uh, the, the flag drug test at the Combine is the latest thing to pop up. Uh, there are issues about his weight, whether he can maintain his weight. He's an extremely large man. I shouldn't say maintain his weight. Uh, I guess a better way of saying is whether he can uh, you know, keep himself in check and, and not weigh too much and gain too much. Uh, you know, that's... I think that's a concern for some teams around the league. Uh, he's not the cleanest prospect off the field, and that, to me, is an interesting dynamic because this is Joe Douglas's first pick 
as, as the Jets general manager, and his MO typically has to has been to get clean guys. Now he's you know, it's not perfect. He's going to take some chances, of course, but to take a guy with some red flags with your first pick as the general manager, you know, is something to consider. Now, ultimately, I I, I think he'll consider uh, perhaps taking a wide receiver, but will not do it. And I also think he'll entertain the notion of trading down to get more draft capital. But you know, for purposes of this mock draft, uh, I, I think he will take Becton. And uh, you, you hate saying this, but keep his fingers crossed that Becton stays on the on the straight and narrow path and uh, you know, stays uh, clean off the field. I can't speak to the drug test, Manish, because I have no idea what he actually got flagged for, and nobody does aside from the teams, I assume. But as far as his character, I dug in pretty deep on him, and I talked to somebody that covered him the whole time he was at Louisville. He was beloved. His character is excellent, aside from that drug test, which, again, we don't even know exactly what he was flagged for. As far as the weight, he played pretty well with it at Louisville. He tested really well with it at the Combine. I'm not really that concerned about it. If he has to drop a couple of pounds, I guess it's not the end of the world, but I think he's going to be fine. I don't really consider him that much of a character risk based on what I know. Now, again, if GMs have other information that I don't have, that's another story. But I think if Mekhi Becton makes it to 11, especially if those other three guys go off the board and Wills and Wirfs go off the board that early, Joe Douglas will kiss the ground and look up to the sky and say thank you because he is going to be sweating bullets waiting for number 11, which is why, Manish, I really do think that he should consider trying to trade up a little bit. If it costs him one of those third-round picks, so be it. He's got to make sure... That he gets somebody that can come in here and be a blindside protector, I think, for Sam Darnold. It's got to be priority number one, two, and three. Let's talk about the rest of these rounds, Manish, because you did release a final mock draft with who you had the Jets picking. At 48, you had Jalen Ragor, who I like a lot, the receiver from TCU. Talk to me a little bit about the process of deciding on him being the guy at 48, assuming he lasts to that point. Do you think that it's a matter of them just wanting to add speed? Yeah, there's two ways to look at it because the, in the first seven-round mock that I did a week ago that we talked about, I had uh, the Vanderbilt uh, or the Colorado kid, uh, Chenault, and he's not a burner by, by any stretch, but he is a guy who can help you after the catch. He's uh, versatile in the sense that he's been used as a wildcat uh, option, uh, a lot different than than Rager. Now, what Rager does is give you special teams value. You know, he, he's, he was exceptional in college as a returner, and uh, and that's something that the Jets will be looking for, even from the uh, first round wide re- or second round wide receiver. So he offers versatility. Uh, what's interesting about him is that he was billed as a burner because when you watch the tape, look, he's he's a very fast player, but he did not time well at the combine. And so it's easy to kind of get down on a guy like that if you don't watch the tape and you don't know what this guy does uh, in a game. Like, what's his game tape? You know, what's his game speed versus what, what he ran at the combine? So he was disappointing. His time was disappointing. I don't remember what it was off the top of my head, but it wasn't going to wow you. It wasn't like Henry Ruggs. But uh, he's a guy who's got juice, right? He gives you a little electricity, and that's what Adam Gase is looking for. Uh you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's 5'11", about 205. So you know, he's not going to offer that big catch radius. But he's got a, you know, he's got a little, uh, a lot of juice to his game. And I think that can help out on offense. I think that it can help out on the punt return game as well. 
and it's just a you know another potential pathway for the Jets to to get faster on offense. Uh, all of that being said, uh, I, I do think you know if I'm if I'm being honest based on the information I have, I do think that there's a less than fifty fifty proposition that he's going to actually make it to forty eight. I agree with that. I actually think he's going to go before 48, but if he is there, he's a very, very tempting option for the Jets. You have them taking Matt Hennessy, who we talked about last time because he was in your initial mock draft, and then you also have them taking Jawan Johnson again. We talked about him as well, but let's talk about some of the new guys that you have them taking. At 79, you have them taking a safety, Terrell Burgess from Utah, it's an interesting pick. You mentioned that you think they could go with his teammate Bradley and Nye, which I think would make a lot more sense because I like Anai and he's a good edge rusher and they really need that. But Burgess is a good player. I don't know how happy fans would be with this pick because to pick a safety this high, especially when they have so many other needs, is going to be something that a lot of fans are going to groan at. But Burgess is a good player and I think Greg Williams would like having him. He's a versatile guy, so you know when you look at the name and the position on paper, you, you might scratch your head and say, "Well, they've already got uh, Marcus May, they've already got Jamal Adams. Why draft a third safety?" Uh, I, I don't know how much longer Marcus May will be on the Jets beyond uh, uh, you know his rookie contract. Uh, I, I, I didn't make this pick because I thought that Jamal Adams was not going to be on the Jets. It, it's more about looking at the future, looking at a player who, frankly. You know, just transitioned to safety this past year. He had been a cornerback, so he's got cornerback skills. So when you talk about adding pieces for Greg Williams, I don't think that you, you should be a prisoner to whatever his position is on paper because Greg Williams, as we've seen in, the, in this one year, and the guy's been around for, what, 25 years, but as Jet fans have seen in this past year, he doesn't really care about a depth chart. He'll move guys around in and out, and, and, and the position – I don't want to say position list because that's not really accurate, but uh, he, he likes using guys to fulfill a lot of different roles. And a guy like Burgess can do that uh, because of his physical skill set, but he's also a very smart player, and that goes a long way uh, for playing with, you know, under Greg Williams. You, you can't be a dope. You've got to be a smart guy. And I think that Burgess could handle a lot of different jobs pretty quickly. Uh, you, know, you mentioned Anai uh, as another possible option. Uh, uh, that would make a lot of sense. Edge rusher does make a lot of sense, especially in day two, because once you get past day two, if you're looking at rounds four through seven, these are really flyers. You're not going to find some dynamic edge rusher uh, in the third round uh, or the third day of the draft. Uh, you probably won't even find one, to be honest with you, in round three. But, you know, Anai is a guy who's got, you know, a tre- tremendous work ethic, a great motor, uh, who could uh, help out in different areas. I just think that when you look at what, Greg Williams can do in terms of potentially masking some deficiencies. Uh, yeah, they don't have that true edge rusher. I'm not sure Anai is going to light the world on fire in 2020 and be a double-digit sack guy. I think there's ways to scheme, uh, not around that, but to scheme to kind of mask your deficiencies on the edge as best as you possibly can. And Greg Williams is a good coach at doing things like that. So uh, that's why I didn't go with Anai. Uh, if they went with Anai there, I think that would be a smart pick. Uh, there's also a cornerback, and, and you know, I, I, as I said earlier, I, I'm not sold on the fact that they're going to draft the corner uh, in, in the first two days. Uh, you know, my gut tells me that they're not. But there, there's a kid who's probably shorter than I am from Louisiana Tech, Meek Robertson, who people around the league have told me is 
really uh, an underrated player, probably because he's only 5'8", and so he does have some limitations. And, you know, fan base is not going to get overly excited about drafting a 5'8", 5'9", corner, but uh, he's a tremendous talent and I, from, from what people who know about these kinds of things tell me. So I'm very curious to to find out where Robertson ends up. He's a player at a position of need. I ultimately don't believe the Jets will draft him, but I, I do think, you know, a couple of years from now, a guy like Amik Robertson will be, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be a mainstay in the league. I think he'll be a quality player at that position despite his size. All I'll say about Amik Robertson is that if you're somebody who's a longtime Jets fan, you remember Ray Mickens. Ray Mickens also only five foot eight. If you could get a guy who is anywhere near as good as Ray Mickens in the slot in the third or fourth round, certainly worth considering. And then we go the rest of the way with your draft here, Manish. You have interchangeable receivers in the last mock draft. You had Colin Johnson from Texas here. You have Kentucky's Lynn Bowden Jr. And then you've also got Hakeem Adenji, the offensive tackle from Kansas in the fifth round. And here's the interesting one. Round six, you've got them taking a punter. Brandon Mann from Texas A&M. Oh, boy, that would be an unpopular pick. Yeah, that's uh, I've already heard from the fan base on, on that one. I, I should have expected it. Uh, but they do have to address the punter position, and punters are people too. Uh, I know that uh, they, you know, they're, they're, it's not a sexy pick, but if you can get a guy who can flip the field consistently, you can work that to your advantage. Uh, I know that the Jets are interested in him. Obviously, uh, they don't have a punter uh, of any significance on their roster. Uh, nobody with any kind of track record or, or pedigree, and uh, they let Lachlan Edwards go. They don't want to pay him. Uh, to me, Braden Mann's the best player at his position. Uh, he was the best punter in college uh, two years ago. You can make a, a viable case that he was the best punter or has been the best punter over the last uh, two years. Uh, he won the Ray Guy Award a couple years ago. He didn't win it last year. But he's a, a field flipper. You know, he's, he's also a guy you can use as your kickoff returner because he's got such a strong leg. Uh, again, I know that there, the Jets have a litany of areas of need. You cannot completely dismiss punter. Now, you can go the street free agent route, and perhaps the Jets will do that. But Braden Mann is getting drafted by somebody, and he would it would not even surprise me if he were drafted in the fifth round by somebody. Not by the Jets, but uh, it would not surprise me if that's where he ultimately went. Uh, you know, Again, an easy position to lampoon, an easy position to uh, diminish, but uh, having a valuable punter does matter. The Jets tried to get uh, Sam Martin in free agency, ultimately didn't want to pay the freight before Denver got him. So they realized that uh, that's an area that needs to be addressed. Uh, could they go the street free agent route? Uh, Matt Dars, a guy who was uh, in camp last year, the left-footed punter that has a history with Adam Gase in Miami. Perhaps that's a path that they could uh, go down again if they don't want to address it in free agency or don't find somebody off the street uh, after the draft. Uh, I just think, again, you don't want to completely discount that because if any team is aware of how important uh, a specialist is, whether that's a punter or a kicker, it's the Jets because when you don't have somebody good at the punter or kicker spot, it can cost you. It can cost you in big ways, and then you've got critics like me that uh, hammer decision makers for not properly addressing a kicker or punter position. Uh, It's a a day three investment it's the 191th 191 overall pick uh, it's not a steep investment by any stretch of the imagination but if you can nail that 
you can have a field flipper for at least the next four years on your roster, uh, I don't think it's necessarily a bad move. Manish, let's play a game of final predictions. Are the Jets going to make any interesting trades in terms of guys like Trent Williams? Could they move Jamal Adams? Are they going to be able to sign somebody like Logan Ryan? And then ultimately, what ends up happening in the draft? I know that your final first-round mock draft has the Jets getting a tackle at 11, but in your gut... Is that how you think this is going to play out? Do you think it's possible that Douglas moves up or down? What does your gut tell you is ultimately going to happen in terms of all of these scenarios? Well, a day ago, my gut was telling me that there is uh, a, a, you know, a great certainty, I guess that's the best way to phrase it, that the Jets would take a tackle because there was, in my mind, a, a great certainty that at least one of those top four guys would be available but all of this chatter in the run-up to the draft, uh, it hasn't spooked me necessarily because I still think that when it's all said and done, one of those top four guys will make it to 11, and that's who the Jets will take. But it wouldn't stun me, whereas maybe a week or so ago, I, I would have said that uh, you know, there, there's probably a solid chance that one guy will be left. I kind of always felt that at minimum two tackles would have been gone in the top ten, but in all likelihood three would. Uh, but the the idea of all four guys being taken, uh, it, it I don't want to say it should scare the Jets because you know it, it's a draft. It's nothing to be scared about. But uh, it should be uh, you know a, a decent concern. And uh, if those guys are off the table, Scott, I, you know in my gut, I think that if there is a, a trade partner out there, because it does take two to tango. But if there is a trade partner out there where Joe Douglas can slide down a few spots. You know, we're not talking about moving from 11 to 21 in a deal with the Eagles, for example. But if he can move down a few spots, you know, anywhere from uh, two to four spots, two to five spots at most, uh, and pick up an additional day two pick or maybe a day two and a day three pick, I think that's the smartest course of action. Uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, I think staying at 11 and not taking a tackle – would not be the best option. Um, you know, time will tell if it's the right option, because if they end up drafting uh, J- uh, Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs or C.D. Lamb, those guys become pro bowlers, and that was the right move. But uh, I just think, you know, in, in the here and now, it would be a mistake to stay at 11 and not take a tackle. We're going to find out soon enough. Just hours from now, the NFL draft is going to be happening, and it's going to be a very bizarre process this year because of the way that it's set up due to what's going on in the world. So I'm hoping that there's no technical glitches. As I joke, though, I keep reading these stories about how all these high-powered executives and coaches and guys like that in the NFL are having trouble getting Wi-Fi I'm not really sure why I'm able to have no problems with my Wi-Fi, but these guys can't figure it out, especially since they've had all this notice that they were going to be doing it this way. But we'll see if any issues arise technically in the draft, although I would imagine that the commissioner probably has something in place to make sure that they can rebound if something does end up happening. Manish Mehta covering the Jets for the New York Daily News. Thanks so much for coming on, as always. Really appreciate it. Next week when you come on, 
We'll get to talk about the results of this draft, which we've seemingly been talking about every day for the last two months. So finally, we get a resolution here. It's almost like Christmas Day now as we get ready to unwrap the presents coming up later today. What do you have cooking in the daily news? I'm sure you've got plenty planned for after the Jets make these picks, particularly their first pick on day one, whether it's number 11 or they trade up or down. Yeah, everyone's got a story, right? Uh, and as of right now, uh, the Jets have eight picks. Maybe it becomes more, maybe it becomes less. But uh, I'm always fascinated every year uh, at the at the backstory with these guys. You know, we know about the numbers and the times at the combine and their highlight reels. But uh, oftentimes, you know, these guys have some some really interesting backstories, and and those are things that you you know you want to delve into and you want to introduce the fan base to. It's going to be a fascinating thing to keep your eye on, and I am sure that whenever the Jets finish making these moves, Manish is going to have plenty of great content up at the Daily News, so make sure that you're checking that out and following him on Twitter. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful to you. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. So if you could do that, we'd really appreciate it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.